Milne, WIC. WIC, Williams Insulation Company out of Wyoming. Now, wh- which part of Wyoming are you out of? you got multiple locations, don't you? Uh, no, we, we used to back in the day. We, we uh, run everything out of Casper all over, everywhere that we go nationwide. We uh, run out of here. We are considering expanding and uh, opening up another one down in Colorado. Um, we're going to wait and see what happens, and, and hopefully it, it comes to fruition. But it's uh, definitely an ambition. Well, here I apologize because I thought you must have multiple locations the way you guys are all over the state and you're servicing the region. And, um, you know, really, you guys have quite a quite a footprint out there. So um, uh, congratulations on hustling, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we've just found it's a lot easier to, to manage everything when, when everything comes back to one location, you know. But uh, that's over years and years of trial and error, so. You know, that's uh, kind of where it came from. Sure. But, uh, well, let's first of all, let's let people know how you are involved with the oil and gas industry and the energy industry specifically. You know, Williams Insulation, you do much more than the oil and gas sector. So uh, talk to, uh, you know, talk to your customers out there, potential customers, those people who uh, might be curious on how uh, WIC is involved with the oil and gas industry? Well, you know, first of all, it's uh, oil and gas is definitely one of our biggest markets that we're involved in. Um, you know, and it's not just insulation. We do scaffolding, all the specialty teach, uh, specialty trades, and we try to be as turnkey as possible, so we're always bringing on new ones, uh, steel buildings, painting, all that good stuff there, and everything that goes along with it that... Uh, the GCs don't typically do, um, you know, and getting involved with the oil and gas industry. We, uh, you know, we like to talk to you as much as we can. We, uh, do a lot of, uh, trade shows, energy expo, oil and gas fair, uh, do, do a lot of sponsoring of events, uh, oil field helping hands. One we did just recently here in Casper. Um, yeah, the, uh, we just try to get involved as much as we can. I, I know that, uh, Bailey Midkiff, our business development guy, he's uh, just, they're getting ready to open up, God, I'm going to have to look it up, a new chapter, it's an oil and gas related deal, I'll, and I'll look it up while we're talking, Is he's going to be the, the regional president, they're going to open a chapter here in Wyoming, um, you know, so we try to stay involved, we uh, talk with our, uh, our county commissioners and, and senators and and, you know, try to try to push for the oil and gas where most of them already are, you know, but we want to make sure we let the little guys be known and what we want to see happen out there. Um, you know, one thing that did happen here recently is Mark Gordon, our governor, uh, put out a, uh, a grant for the oil field just to uh, help get things going again. And that's been pretty nice. I know uh, several of our clients have been picking up, you know, 250000 bucks or whatever it is the max to get their capital projects going again uh i know uh bailey's been talking with a lot of the commissioners and and trying to push for certain companies you know and and uh maybe not certain companies but you know everyone that needs it and uh try to get everyone back out there and working so it's uh we got a very broad spectrum of what we're doing and, and how we're trying to 
push and, and make sure that the workflow continues. You know, it's interesting as I'm taking notes from our, our, our interview here, you know, my notes might not be exactly what the other person has in mind. And so as I was writing this down, I, I looked at the phrase and I went, ooh, somebody might not like that because I wrote down uh, advocacy as part of the brand. And, you know, that's, that's a very bold statement to make. But really when I was listening to kind of what you were saying and knowing, you know, that the way you guys are, a lot of what you do when you're doing your sponsorships and you're out there with your message, you know, Bailey, for crying out loud, if he's going to be a chapter president, well, there's further proof of the pudding. Um, I guess, do you disagree with me that you've got some advocacy as part of your brand, or is that just kind of by design, uh, by organic, you know? I guess, is, have, you, have you ever had that conversation, I guess? You know I'd say we're advocates, absolutely. Well, no, no, you are. You guys are. There's no question yeah. about it. There's no question. Yeah, about we, it. we've had that conversation to an extent, you know, um, like Bailey getting involved with that. Uh, God, I, I need to look it up. Uh, that new chapter, and uh, <clears throat> it it all comes down to the conversation that we've had many times. Everything goes back to oil and gas all the way down to the masks that we're wearing these days. And, uh, you know, the, coming from Wyoming, 80% of the people here are related to energy as far as their occupation, whether it be oil and gas, coal, uh, petrochem, whatever it might be, in some way or another, they are directly impacted by the oil and gas sector. And like I just said, 100% effective in our day affected in our daily lives so you know it just makes sense to be an advocate for it because you know it, it's one of those things that can't go away it's not going to go away and it's a huge part of our lives and it it drives our economy in wyoming north dakota in colorado all, all these mountain states we rely on that and all the way down to new mexico texas so why not advocate for it you know Let's talk a little bit about the past year and look ahead a little bit. Um, certainly, you can you, you can talk about you know your specific projects if you'd like and and that sort of thing. I also know a lot of times people like to you know keep that stuff quiet and et cetera. But what, what I've seen is you know I've seen some further climate activism in Colorado, and now I saw it in Wyoming where they uh, are starting the federal lands, uh, drums beaten and that sort of thing, and it made it into the papers and court cases and, and et cetera last week. So uh, talk to me a little bit about how you've seen, you know, Wyoming over the past year in relation to, you know, what you guys are doing. You mentioned the governor came out with that, that you know, kind of rejuvenate or restart the energy program. There's a great example of, you know, something the industry's done in the past year. But, you know, a lot of people were scrambling, trying to figure out their COVID things. I remember Bailey talking about driving a couple hundred miles for meetings that didn't exist at the end of the day because 
somewhere between, you know, Lusk and Sundance, COVID happened or whatever, you know, whatever the deal is. So uh, just talk to me a little bit about the last year and just kind of what, how you're looking at things from that climate activism side and even uh, Rig Count Zero Wyoming experienced, man, that, that came out of nowhere. So um, there was some, there were some challenges in the last year, but we're, we are ending it on a high note. Let's just, you know, we'll start with that, that, you know, we're talking because things are going uh, going again, but there were some interesting milestones in the past year, weren't there? There absolutely was. And, uh, you know, when, when this all happened, quarter one, quarter two of this year, we were thinking we were going to have the biggest year ever. And a lot of us were, right? And then... Uh, COVID happened, projects canceled, projects postponed, and and we were able to stay pretty busy. Um, but with that being said, all those projects, not all of them, but a lot of those projects are going to come back around next year. Um, and I, I, I have high hopes for next year. I, I think it's going to be all right. Now on the, uh, the uh, environmental stuff, you know, Adam Dickinson, our production manager, was telling me he was reading that uh, we that we as the United States are at a point eight on emissions or something like that, and almost zero. And then manufacturing made up for eighty percent of that, and oil and gas and uh, coal were only a very small fraction, like less than two percent of the emissions. So it's I know we've had this conversation many times. It's it's crazy the way that uh, they're trying to push this, and and you know I agree. We want to have a as little of a carbon footprint as we can. But I've said it many times on your program that uh, oil and gas is the most uh, environmentally most the greatest environmental stewards that there is in our country. We know that we can create problems and humans are the ones creating the problems and we've through trial and error and technology we found ways to be cleaner more efficient and we are the cleanest one of the cleanest in the world i mean there's a few countries out there like i think switzerland's beating us and some of these really small companies the countries but uh i'm okay with the activism i'm not okay with putting people out of work and uh making it so that it's so expensive that uh it's just going to die on its own anyways. And, and then we're going to start losing all these great products like the plastic bottles and everything else that we use in our daily lives. So you know, there's, a, there's a fine line to be drawn there, I think. And uh, people have to realize that oil and gas is that big in our lives, you know? Well, I, I look at it from an ag standpoint and from an energy standpoint, um, when you're a regulator or a politician, okay, if you go back over the last 30, 40 years, you know, ag is really very dangerous, and it had a lot of um, ke- chemical issues and dead zones and things like that, and it wasn't really talked about much. And now they're trying to do a lot of this stuff with the oil and gas at the same time, where I look at politicians, because through the years of ag, they had their problems, but there was a lot more positive than negative at the end of the day. And I look at the oil and gas industry very similar. So what I see the politicians have done is they've really enabled a lot of anxiety 
because we've been decarbonizing for the last 150 years. We've been doing it naturally. We, whether it's you started on hay and wood and gone through uh, um, whale oil, for crying out loud, to coal, to whatever it might be, our hydrocarbons have reduced down to where natural gas is only down to like four now. So it's just a small amount, and we've naturally got cleaner. We've got cleaner as a uh, species long before the Sierra Club and some of these other Greta Thunbergs came along. So the crash course that they've tried to put the the industry on, in my opinion, is very much influenced by the enablement of this environmental anxiety that the politicians have allowed to all of a sudden go to the president of the United States where it's a, a, a normal conversation to say, we're going to ban an industry. And even Biden crumbled on that. He came out right away and said, we're going to ban fracking. And then he was in Pennsylvania and said, well, we're going to transition out of that. And now he's saying, you know, let's look at the real stats here. That, that is so symbolic to attitude over information. And um, I'm going to shut up now because I want you to go ahead and, and speak on this. Because I tell you, man, I get on my soapbox and sometimes it's hard for me to get down. Well, you know, uh, a step further because this is I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing this up because this is a very difficult conversation to have for the industry because what what I've seen from an industry standpoint is okay back in the 90s I I do not remember anything outside of an occasional bitch session from about gas prices outside of that there was not this polarization of politicalness in the oil and gas world and even in the early 2000s and, and, you know, up to 2012, 13, there really wasn't. Back in 2012, 13, 14, 15, there was more plastic bags and, and plastic straws type of a, a, of a conversation. Not the entire industry. Not until like Bernie Sanders and, and some of the others started coming out where we're going to ban the industry, okay? So this has been an increased... Uh, ramp up that's been happening over the past 20, 30 years. But like I said, in the 90s, there wasn't any argument over the light switch. It was just, oh, gas prices are three bucks. Oh, I'm so mad at the oil companies. I mean, outside of a spill, they weren't in the news hardly ever, okay? Now, with that context, when you take a look at what's happened, they've donated a ton of money to the political campaigns. And What's happened on the political side, and keep in mind, I've covered it for 20 years, okay? A lot of the politicians, they like to centralize power, and they like to go for low-hanging fruit. 
So they lumped everything in. Now, all of a sudden, if you support oil and gas, you're involved in a gun debate and a right-to-life abortion debate and all kinds of new debates that you were not even prepared for because, you, you know, you just you, you work in the oil and gas industry. And same thing on the other side. It's like, oh, okay, all of a sudden you hate renewables. Well, nobody ever said that. So all of a sudden these frameworks of people's perception of you started happening without people knowing it. And the politicians really did have a lot to do with that because they were funded very heavily by the oil and gas companies. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's been an interesting process to watch happen, and I can't wait to see some, you know, some university put out a paper on it. Because I, I think that if you take a look at kind of, I mean, oil and gas companies had government affairs offices. That's how in, in bed they were with the government officials. And it's, it's really become a problem in the last five years, especially because of how polarizing the country has gotten, you know. And so, uh, I don't know, what's your opinion on that? I just thought I'd layer that in with, with your comment because what you were saying is, is you're not the only one thinking that, you know, Jake. You're not the only one thinking that out there. No, I, I think the, the overwhelming majority of the populace is in belief with that. And, uh, you know, touching on the... Government affairs offices that these oil and gas people have, well, you know, they got to have them. On top of staying in contact and, and trying to push their agenda to keep their businesses open and moving forward, you know, they've also got to navigate through this bureaucracy and these new rules that are coming out all the time. And, you know, we, we move one way to the right, and then some uh, politician changes the law, and now you got to move way over to the left, and, and you can't find center ever because you got to stay on top of that and know what's happening before it happens. Otherwise you, uh, you stumble and you fall right now. One other thing that I think is huge. And uh, this is a debate that uh, my girlfriend and I have all the time is that where this country has come to have just a, a two party system, you know, and uh, she's a libertarian. I consider myself a constitutional conservative. Um, I don't always I agree with Republicans 90% of the time, not always, not on everything. That's why I call myself a constitutional conservative. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, I feel like, you know, we all know if, there, if, say, Donald Trump ran as an independent, that he probably would not have uh, got elected. He would have just stole votes from the, the Republican nominee and, uh, we would have Hillary Clinton as a president today. So thank God he didn't t choose to do that. And there's a problem with having a third party because it does exactly that, right? But I feel like there's there could be a way that uh, there should be a way, and they should try to find a way to uh, make it so that it's not so polarizing. Maybe it's not a third party. Maybe it's a third and fourth party. I don't know what it is, but uh, I think that something's got to be done. And uh, that'll help unite everyone and try to keep these politicians honest. Um, I'd like to go back on what you were saying about the uh, the ag being such a polluter. Um, we uh, were driving through Oklahoma a little while back, and uh, excuse me, Kansas, and they were everyone was out there cutting their fields, getting ready for the winter. And uh, she's uh, she went to school to be a uh, basically a geologist, a soil geologist. She's all about soil health. and She's just scuffing at what these farmers were out there doing. And 
fields down and it, to dirt and then leave it for the winter. Well, now all that dirt's moving, blowing down to the next guy's field, and whatever contaminants he put in his field are now getting into that guy's field, and they could totally change the the the, the makeup of the ground. And then there's all these chemicals that they're out there spraying and everything, and they have far less regulations than we do. I mean, we know the farmers are virtually exempt from everything for the most part. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny how most of those chemicals, it takes oil and gas to get them there, and they are not, uh, they don't, it just shows you the difference, and they look at this industry completely different than they do ag. And uh, and that's because they're pushing their agenda. They're, they're not worried about ag. They're worried about getting rid of oil and gas, not ag. So they don't even care about what they're doing when they're sometimes doing even worse with our water streams and water tables and everything else. So I kind of get off the subject there, but there's something that caught my mind earlier that you were t- talking about. I was, man, I going through Kansas, that was crazy to see what they were doing, you know, and then some guys leave a little bit, a little bit of foliage there so it holds the dirt down. I think that's great. And maybe they should start concentrating on uh, more of those types of regulations and, and ensuring that our, our grounds are good and our waters are clean because I think that oil and gas industry is doing a good job at making sure that that is the thing. Well, at the end of the day, the oil and gas industry is, is one of the leaders in innovation very similar to the way the Department of Defense becomes a leader in technology. Uh, you know, the microwave came out of Department of Defense. I think technically the Internet did too, came out of the Department of Defense. And, you know, the, the egg comparison, though, is it's there for, for, for more than just one, two, three, four reasons. There's, there's a lot of reasons. You know, egg was really for a long time the most dangerous occupation that no one ever talked about. I worked in the media and they wouldn't let us report on egg, egg uh, uh, accidents because 75% of the advertisers were egg companies. So, you know, if, if you live in an egg community, you don't, you, you don't want that stuff reported. So there's, you know, even some of that stuff and, and a lot of that stuff is not necessarily reported as, as an egg accident might be in you know a, a tractor auto type accident but it's 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 farm related so there, there's that side of it but then there's also the government subsidy side of it too and this is why the uh, Mike Summers uh, API president coming out immediately saying we don't want government subsidies and Matt Gallagher the uh, then CEO of parsley energy saying uh, maybe we do want government subsidies in the last year that was a really important thing to I, I think more people should be talking about still because because if the government gets involved and starts at the end of the day they do pick winners and losers they do and I you can call it whatever you don't have to call it winners and losers you can call it people that qualify and people that don't qualify but at the end of the day even this program that's going on in, in Wyoming right now some people are getting 250,000 bucks and some people aren't and so the, by the way, not to get it confused here with what's going on in Wyoming, this is more of a relief thing that is needed, but when the Texas Railroad Commission was going to come in and start talking about controlling production, to me that's, that, that speaks a little bit more like what they've done to ag. And we've talked about ag 2.0 on this program for a while, where if the government starts coming in and starts controlling uh, the supply 
Well, it'll turn into ag really quick. You'll have just a handful of oil companies that control 90% of the market, and they'll work hand-in-hand with the government. And you think I'm wrong? Go to Alaska. They have two oil companies, Shell and BP. That's it. Anybody else? Maybe. Okay, they're very small if they are, but it's because... Every because the the um, mineral rights are owned by the people up in Alaska, and so therefore anything that that oil and gas companies have to do, they have to go through the legislature. So it takes three to five years to get simple changes done in Alaska. So it's easier for the people, aka the the politicians, to just work with a couple companies. And you take a look at what's happened in the world of egg, same thing, same thing. So that's why this parsley energy. Matt Gallagher going on CNBC talking about should we, you know, we should have the Texas Railroad Commission control supply and the Mike Summers API president right away immediately saying, no, no, government stay out of our lives type of a thing. Um, That's why I think that conversation is pretty important because the government keeps coming back in. And, you know, in North Dakota, that's you take away the government money in North Dakota. I don't do even have six rigs. You guys went down to zero in Wyoming. You know, luckily, yeah. you, you rebounded. You take away what the governor is doing right now. I don't know what's happening. It's a different situation than what it was before. But I think the bigger picture, I think you follow my bigger picture, though. Don't you? The bigger point? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, talk, know, talk to me about it a little bit, your reaction to that. Well, I, I, it makes me think of these uh, clean energy projects. Um, you know, how, how many companies are out there putting windmills up and actually, you know, own the the uh, the farms, not just the people going out there doing the work, but it's there's pretty far and few between, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about that industry because I, we're not involved in it. Um, we've looked at it before, and I, I don't see any opportunity for us there. And uh, and I also don't want to work against ourselves in that direction, right? So I, I don't know much about it, but from my understanding is that there's only a few companies out there that put them up. There's only a few companies that uh, actually manage the wind farms and, and own them and get the power to the people. And uh, so it's like, that's a perfect example of those subsidies could become an issue, just like you're saying up in Alaska. Um, now, at the same time, I also think, damn, that ain't fair. You know, why, why, does, one energy, why does one energy industry get it and not the other when... Uh, it's, I think it should be an even playing field across the board, but again, that's uh, that's just who's in office, right? I mean, when that uh, when did we really even start doing windmills? You think that had to have been what late eighties, early nineties when it first started coming around, and uh, just exploded in the early two thousands, and then over the last uh, during the Obama administration, I think that it exploded pretty good too. But it, I guess it was also when it was a uh, House held, House and Senate held. Uh, Democratic Party held both House and Senate, and then they started getting even more subsidies. And uh, so, I guess my point is, is, I think it is a conversation we have to need to have. I don't know the answer to it. Um, I think it'd be nice to see those subsidies come out, but it, like you said, we don't we don't need a monopolistic oil and gas sector. Um, that's just that's going to create a whole bunch of losers really fast, put a lot of people out of work. And uh, interesting, I I, I, interesting, you brought up the wind. Um, you know, there's there's a part of the wind subsidy that 
rarely gets talked about, okay, because, you know, we'll just uh, XL Energy. You're probably familiar with XL Energy. They, they, they reach, you know, they're in my neck of the woods, and they reach all the way out into the Colorado area. Um, and, you know, they, they do natural gas and wind and a number of different things. And you can go to really any, any town, and generally there is a monopoly, okay? There's usually one power company. And they, yep. and, and they have, uh, whether it's a co-op or whether it's a deal, but it's actually worked very well uh, for a long time, 50 years, because, you know, the, the energy company comes in and, say, and says, basically, in order to make this affordable and economical, we have to have a monopoly. And the city leaders throughout the years have said, you know what, they're, they're right. To do this, we have to do this. But to have a check to your balance you can only make 4% profit. You can only make 5% profit. You can only make 3% profit. So their profit was very fixed, okay? So the power companies, you know, they, they, they had a monopoly, but they also had a risk. But the risk was managed because they had a monopoly. And it was a very good system that worked for a long time. Then the wind energy came along, and there's a provision in a lot of these different power company monopolies they have in any town USA that says we can have a markup on our service. Well, wind turbines, the construction of them, fell under that service. So that's why only a handful of companies were putting up these wind turbines because that was a way for these power company monopolies to grow their businesses during the uh, 1990s and the 2000s to keep up with everybody else. So there was, there's a little bit of a sleight of hand and smoke and mirrors that is being done there, whether it's by design or whether it's done by accident. I don't know, but either way, it happened, and it is happening. And, so that, and that is a way that a lot of energy companies are getting their public books met because, remember, they got to adhere to shareholders. So they don't care how they make their money. So if they got to get in the wind turbine business and the government's going to give them $200 million, they'll do it. And so a lot of this wind energy has been manufactured in that way. So go ahead. And speaking of XL Energy, um, they are involved with uh, Tri-State down in Craig, Colorado. And they, they said earlier this year that they're shutting down three of their power plants down there and going to shift over to solely wind power. Uh, smart move. Government's going to hand me free money to get out of coal. I'm going to do it every day, right? Uh, so you have a perfect point there, and, and uh, I didn't realize that the provision was in there like that. It's good to know that. You know, and, and the other thing, focusing back on the uh, environmental side of it, at the end of the day, we've got thousands and thousands of wind turbines coming here to Casper, Wyoming, and being buried in our landfill. This, uh, people in the city here have just had an uprising about it. And it's like, you know, you're taking up all our landfill and you're put, taking away our jobs and, and then now you're going to jack our rates and because you have to focus on this certain part of the landfill and you've got so much uh, money invested in getting it ready and you're getting this government subsidy to do this. And it just goes to show, like, it, there is mo just as much, if not more, let's call it trash, that comes out of the uh, the wind, then if we, we were to 
could just stay with coal and everything. So it, it blows my mind. I think that uh, subsidies definitely need to be a conversation, and it, it's got to start right here. It's got to be a, a grassroots thing, right? Um, it's got to be North Dakota, Colorado, Wyoming, Energy Strong. They, they've done a really good job of uh, pu- pushing and advocating for oil and gas. I, maybe that's the type of person that needs to, the type of organization that needs to start having these conversations with the public and with the oil and gas companies so they can figure this out. What's interesting, too, about those wind turbines, they're, for, last time I checked, there really wasn't a very good reclamation program put in place for these wind turbines. So you take a look at what a lot of these companies are doing is they're, they're getting big, giant government subsidies. They're creating a product that is not recyclable. They are putting up a energy that is not reliable, that is causing damage to the ecosystem. It's almost totally eradicated the golden eagle in the southwest because those wind turbine blades hit uh, eagles and, and other birds. And bats are actually attracted to the motors, so it's it's killing bats at a record pace to where some, some uh, areas bats are almost extinct because of these wind turbines. And bats, by the way, do have an economic value to a farmer because of the pollination and the... Um, pest control. Bats will eat upwards up to 10,000 mosquitoes a day and and certain pests and things like that. So uh, the government doesn't care about birds, but the government does care about bats. So there, there is that as well. But my issue is, is that you've got these big companies that are building them and not recycling them and do all this stuff. And at the end of the day, it's, it ends up being like the landowner's problem. So the landowner gets, you know, I don't know, 20... 10, 30 grand, whatever the checks are that they get for the person renting the land um, over the course of the 20 years of the project. Then at the 20 years is over, the power company gets to leave that turbine on the guy's property, on the gal's property, on the family's property. So when I, every time I drive by and I see one of these dilapidated barns that it looks like if a bird ever landed on it, it would collapse because they're, they're, apparently there's some insurance clause that people have to wait for that to happen. Um, same thing with these wind turbines. I'm going, how many of these wind turbines are just going to rust away? Because if a landowner is responsible for the cost to deconstruct one of those things, it ain't going to happen. They're going to leave that thing up there till it falls over. So I, I, I didn't know if you knew that either, but there's not a very good reclamation program put in place for these. And now that Wyoming is almost filled up, and Iowa flat out said no more. You saw that, right, Iowa? That's why I you. Did not. Oh yeah, Iowa said we don't want any more wind turbines. Our landfills are filled, and that's why Wyoming. I was talking to a guy in Wyoming. He wanted to put together a um, uh, a wind turbine recycling center there, and I, I, I guess I have to back up on what I said earlier. I've actually been in talks with someone about just exactly that. Um, I can't say a lot about it, but... Well, I, I, I was just going to say, uh, if he, he kept running into brick wall after brick wall. That was it. That Every time he'd turn around, either the marketplace was so controlled or so, nobody wanted to have a real conversation about it, it became very frustrating. So 
Um, that anyway, that that was the that was all I wanted to say about the recycling program. So you were actually kind of in talks, and or you've been trying to talk to people about it too. You're saying? Well, we I got a, an associate of mine that's got a great idea, and I, I can't say much about it. I'm bound by NDAs, but uh, if we do get this thing up and running, and I'm hoping we will in the next year or so, there may be a way to deal with these blades now the rest of it we haven't looked at that but all these blades is what we're really focusing on at first and uh our whole idea is that actually it's gonna the wind turbines are just going to be a small portion of what we would be doing um it's uh we don't want to rely on an industry right just the same way we don't here at wic we don't focus solely on oil and gas we look at all the other options that we have out there as well so it would just be a, another niche that we would have if we were to, able to come through with it. And, and uh, if if we get all this legal stuff in place, I'd love to come back and discuss it with you. Well, we'd love to have you on to talk about that. Yeah, this was just kind of a little bit of a, a impromptu sidebar here on some yeah. of the some of the issues with subsidies and and reclamation and just really what we're talking about though is whether something is thought out or whether it's a reaction and i think what's happening in the energy sector right now is a lot of people are just reacting to a lot of different enabled anxiety and um personally uh, i'd like to see the energy industry take the conversation back and just start becoming the conversation again and not reacting to some of this. Um, I, to me, I don't. I, I see the planet being very resilient. I see, you know, cheap, affordable housing and uh, and heat and you know transportation and and I just see the net gain is so positive when it comes to you know the oil and gas industry. And I see how over the last 150 years, it's been a natural transition into other forms of energy that are cleaner. And it's done with the help of all these other industries, you know. And so to go away from that, I just think it's really irresponsible to do that. I, I just, I, I look at that. So I thank you for coming on and, and actually, man, adding some good spice to the program. Normally we don't get too uh, political with stuff, but uh, today you caught me on a wind. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of wind energy. I've said it for a long time that I believe that the, farmers were more advanced and effective with wind energy 150 years ago than we are today because 100 100 years ago they were getting water and they could even like power a couple pole barns based on a basic windmill that their family could put up and i believe that's more efficient than we are today so um and some of those windmills are still out there operating uh you see them all over in wyoming Back to the, you know, them having to deal with the reclamation of that wind turbine when the contract is up. And when you're a farmer or a rancher, you're just trying to get through the season and get to the next one. You don't have the money. You know, most of the time, these guys aren't making the money, any money. They're just trying to survive, and they're barely scraping by at that. So I think that that's ridiculous, and that needs to be looked at for sure. Yeah, and, and it might have, and, but I mean, last time I checked, there was not a very good program in place, and um, there was a lot of wind turbines out there that did not have any program attached to it, and so it's it's too bad. And I started thinking about, 
you know, um, in North Dakota, much like Wyoming, very windy. And uh, U.S. Senator Byron Dorgan, he used to come on my program all the time and call uh, back when I was doing different programs. Uh, but he would call North Dakota Saudi Arabia of wind because we had so much wind and it was so flat that we were going to be the Saudi Arabia of wind. He would say that back in the, um, back in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s. And so we're, we're pretty, you know, we, we were one of the early uh, test markets, if you will, for a lot of different wind energy. And, and we got a couple manufacturers in the state and uh, a bunch of different things. But my point is, um, there were a lot of out-of-state people that had wind turbines just because they got a check. So they owned land because their parents and their grandparents homesteaded there, but they now live in California, they live in Minneapolis, they live in Denver, wherever they live, but they own their, their land. And so the energy company would cut them a check for you know five grand or whatever a year, and their taxes were three, four, five grand. So as long as it covered the taxes and they can go on a nice vacation, they were happy as a clam. And those are the ones that I worry about because they're the ones who aren't going to, they're not going to care about that thing after the end of 20, 30 years because they're not there. The farmer in 20, 30 years, he is going to care about it because he's still working the land. You know what I mean by that? You you see what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. It's just like, uh, it's basically the same as someone that knows nothing about the oil and gas industry coming in and trying to tell us how we how we need to run it and how we're so bad and ruining the environment. It's the same thing. They're not there. They're not involved. They, uh, they don't know. And they, and they frankly don't care, right? They're not, it does not affect them. I'm surprised because I had to hold back three times from swearing. And, um, I've actually been conscious of this because, you know, I've been in the media over 20 years and we can't swear on the air, but podcasts, we could swear. There was a couple times where I was going to drop some S-bombs or F-bombs, but I held back because of my professional training, and now I'm kicking myself because swear words sometimes have a little more impact. And I felt like some of the things that I said, I didn't say them harsh enough. So <laughs> anyways, um, I, think, I, I, think, I think you did drop one S-bomb, but that's okay. Okay, well, that, see, it wasn't, it wasn't harsh enough because it didn't register, darn it. Uh, with me, it didn't, but, uh, well, uh, let's just kind of wrap it up here a little bit. Uh, you know, your message, what you want people to walk away from, make sure you mention, you know, the services that, uh, that you provide to the energy industry and Hey, if they want to talk a little shop, well, you just heard what you might talk about. So (laughs) what, what, what are you guys doing out there and how can people get in touch with you for the next, uh, 2021 as we look at, uh, the next year, I guess. Well, we're uh, right here in Casper, Wyoming, 7220 Derrick Drive. Uh, you can look us up on the internet, www.wicwyo.com. That's wicwyo.com. Or you can call us, you can call me, 307 247 4943. We're here to help you with any of your insulation, scaffolding, painting, pre engineered metal buildings. Uh, Get on our website, look at the list. The list goes much further than that. And, uh, you know, if you guys can get out there and, and help with the groups out there, Energy Strong, Oil Field Helping Hands and all those, that really helps us stay, in, stay busy, keep us going. And they're really advocating for us to keep our jobs and keep going. So 
appreciate you having me on, Jason.